Are there some people that you just really like? You just like them. You like to be around them. And are there some people that you just don't like? Maybe there's some people you like more than others. How about love? Are there some people you love more than others? I mean, that sounds pretty normal, right? Shouldn't I love my mother more than I love a stranger? But what about Hashem? Does God love some people and not others? Does God hate anyone? And why would I ask such a strange question? Well, <clears throat> this week's Torah portion, Toldot, recalls the beginnings of the conflict, as we discussed, between Jacob and Esau. First, Jacob tricks Esau into selling his birthright for a bowl of something red, probably soup. And then later on, he tricks Esau again and gets his father to bless him instead of Esau. So he steals his birthright, which uh, in the ancient days was kind of like uh, the, the right of the firstborn. And then uh, and it comes along with uh, certain privileges and a blessing. And the, the blessing that comes with that, he also took. There's a commentary on this Parsha, uh, actually in the book of Romans, uh, written by Paul, of course, in Romans chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. This is what Paul says about today's Parsha. Yet, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Phew! That is rough. What do we make of that? Did God really love Isaac and hate Esau? I mean, as we just talked about, Isaac was pretty mean to Esau. He was deceptive, manipulative, conniving. So what do we make of this drosh of Paul's? We might read something like this and... and, and and uh, we might think, well, <clears throat> what if God feels the same way about me? We might go through, through th some things in our lives, uh, some, some difficult things, and, and wonder, does God love me? Or does he see me like Esau? Well, there are a number of theories or explanations that, um, as to what this means. So I'm going to go over a couple of them that have traditionally been given. Um, by um, interpreters, and then I'm going to tell you what I think, what the one that makes the most sense based on the, the context. So first of all, some interpreters explain it literally. So <clears throat> they say, well, there's some people that God loves and others that he doesn't love. Some, uh, some even soften the word hate. Uh, in this passage, 
to be a Jewish idiom, meaning that God loves them less. And there's textual evidence for this. Um, there's often uh, um, hyperbole in, in Jewish texts, and even in the Greek text, um, in the Hebrew, that's, that means when it says hate, that it actually just means loves less. But that doesn't, it still doesn't explain the apparent problem here. There's a problem. And many teachers have taught that this passage means that Hashem chooses certain people. He, he loves them and rescues them and protects them. And others, he hardens their hearts. He doesn't love them or loves them less. He chooses not to rescue and he punishes them. And these choices are his, and arbitrarily or not, as, as we have no say in the matter. They, the, these interpreters would say that we are destined, even predestined, toward God's love or not. And there's nothing we can do about it. God will be God. Proponents of this theology would argue that, look, some people are more blessed than others. Some people are wealthier. Some are poorer. Some go through more trials and hardships than other people. So this, they would say, is evidence that Hashem loves some people less. Well, there's some issues with this conclusion and this theology. For one... It contradicts some basic ideas laid out in the scriptures about how, to, how God feels about us. It sort of contradicts our, 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 our basic understanding of God's love. This passage about God loving Jacob and, and, and not loving Esau or loving him less, it doesn't seem to satisfy our understanding of God's love for all his creation. One piece of evidence is how Hashem feels about the people of Nineveh. He sends his prophet, Jonah, to preach to the people of Nineveh, whose wickedness is so great that it has reached his attention. So this is a people group. They're so evil that it's kind of come on God's radar. And they are not among the chosen people of Israel. They're just a wicked people group. And yet, in the end, when Hashem justifies his compassion and mercy on Nineveh to Jonah, this is what God says to Jonah. <clears throat> so, should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? So he even, God even loves the animals, right? But this, this idea is that Jonah is upset because God had mercy on, on Nineveh because of his preaching. And, uh, and God says, well, that's, that's kind of who I am. That's how I, that's how I roll. God clearly does not love the Ninevites any less. Now about the mercy on, uh, that God has on, on the wicked kings, if you read in, in, in Judges, there's a lot of really wicked kings. It says they set their heart to do evil. And at the very, very end of their life, they're like, uh, I repent. And God has mercy on them. 
and he heals them. You know, these are just anecdotal evidence, right? Is there a, a theological foundation for this belief that God loves everyone, everyone as an individual? Well, in the same book of Romans, this is the same book that Paul wrote a few chapters earlier, this is what we find in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Maybe you should read it. Let's all read it together. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Read that last part again with me. For God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism, but he judges and loves us all equally. And then in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, this is what it says. This is Yeshua speaking. You have heard that our fathers were told, love your enemy, love, sorry, (laughs) love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Then you will become children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun shine on good and bad people alike. And he sends rain to the righteous and to the unrighteous alike. What reward do you get if you love only those who love you? Why, even tax collectors do that. Those tax collectors can't believe it. And if you are friendly only to your friends... Are you doing anything out of the ordinary? Even the goyim do that. Therefore, be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, we are to love all people, even our enemies, because our Father in heaven, he loves wicked people. He loves even evil people, right? He blesses the good along with the bad. He sends rain to them all. And he is perfect in his love, so we should emulate his love. This is the standard that we have by a loving God. So this is why I disagree with the interpreters who see this passage and interpret it literally and say, well, God loved Esau, loved Isaac and hated Esau. So what else could this be about? Paul writes um, just before that, Excuse me. He wrote, just as it is written, before he says, before he gives us this quote. Um, But where is it written that way? Just as it is written. It's not in the Torah portion, but it's actually in this week's Haftarah portion. Did you know we have a Haftarah portion? Yes, we do. We don't don't read it at Tikvat Israel, but it, it... it follows the, um, the writings and the prophets and goes through <clears throat> uh, different things. So this week's Haftarah portion is from Malachi, and this is what Paul is quoting. And uh, this is what it says. This is the original text that Paul is referencing. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? 
Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. This is what Paul quoted. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom, which is the same as Esau, uh, it's, he has <clears throat> two names, may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. So Edom and Esau here refer to the same thing. This is the passage that we could say refers to the nations of Esau, the nation of Edom, and the nation of Isaac. That is, their descendants, Toldot, right? Their generations after them. Their wickedness is as a group. And Isaac's, or Israel's righteousness, is as a group, as a nation. Not that the descendants of Isaac are always in the right, as we know, but that God has had mercy on them as a nation. And he has had judgment on the nation of Edom, or the nation of Esau. This is supported by the original Parsha as well. So they, it, there's a link through from Romans to Malachi and back to the Parsha for today. In Genesis 25, 21, this is what we find. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And this was the last part that we read from the Parsha. Are you, are you curious why? It was kind of a teaser that Elisa set up for us. So this is the answer. The Lord said to her, two, what? Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So in other words, in the original narrative, the two men represented two nations, two people groups. So goes the theory that God did not hate Esau because God does not hate individuals, but Esau represents a people group, the Edomites. And nations as a whole can come under judgment of God unless there is a righteous remnant. But God did love and prefer the nation of Israel as a whole, which we see in Scripture, even while judging harshly individuals in Israel. For we have seen that the passage in Romans can be seen as dealing with nations that Esau and Isaac represent. So let's go back to the Romans passage in chapter 9, verses 6 and 10 through 18, and let's read it with this perspective of God's judgment on these nations. It is not as though God's world has, word has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. He's distinguishing the nation of Israel with the righteous remnant of Israel. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by her father Isaac. 
Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we then say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raise you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my, my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So what do we have here? It seems as though Paul is saying the original idea, right? In which God chose to love Jacob and hate Esau, and that's the way it goes. But if Paul is talking about the nation of Jacob, which is Israel, and the nation of Esau, the Edomites as a whole, then the passage is more understandable. God has mercy on some nations and not on others to show his purposes. Pharaoh here represents the nation of Egypt, which God judged in the story of Exodus. He judged that nation, but he had mercy on individuals in Egypt, did he not? When the Egyptian midwives were ordered by Pharaoh to kill the Israelite babies, the male ones, they resisted. There was a righteous remnant within the house of Pharaoh or Egypt. And here's what it says in Exodus chapter 1, verses 17 and 20 through 21. Excuse me. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So these are individuals that were blessed, even in the shadow of Pharaoh and in this kind of wicked nation that God is judging with the ten plagues. So the passage in Romans is saying that God can distinguish individuals among nations, that not all in Israel, whom God loved, are the righteous remnant. Not all in Israel are the true Israel. And not all in Edom or Egypt or any other nation whom God judged are wicked. Let me repeat that. Not all in Israel whom God loved are righteous, and not all in Edom whom God judged are wicked. It is easy for us to look at the blessings of others and feel jealous, or to look at our own suffering and ask, why me, God? Don't you love me? We could not look at our, our blessings or our circumstances 
to form our theology of how God feels about us. But how God feels about us must be rooted in Torah. And that should affect our theology and our circumstances, not the other way around. We should not say that God doesn't love us as much as someone else because some were chosen to be loved and some weren't. This is bad theology, and it can affect our own souls. You, you are beloved. You are chosen. You are loved by God as much as anyone else, regardless of circumstance. Of course, we have only to look at the character of Yeshua, who is the face of the Father's love to a hurting world. Yeshua spent time with those Esau's, those down-and-out souls. He ate with sinners, with those who saw themselves as unloved, to show them that they are loved. Let's build our theology around God's undying love for us. As Paul says in the same book, Romans, just before this, chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. This is what Paul says. Let's read this together. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor other heavenly rulers, neither what exists nor what is coming, neither powers above nor powers below, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which comes to us through Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray.